listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to be able to do that today. Before we open up to 2 Timothy and kind of dive in and, and see what God has to say to us this morning, let's just go to him and ask him to bless this time in his words. So would you pray with me this morning? Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory. And God, I pray that that would be true for us, not only today as we gather together and now in this moment to, to receive the preaching of your word, but God, I pray that would be true for us every day, that we would not seek glory for ourselves, but only you. But God, now as we do open up your word, I pray that you would be exalted, that you'd be made much of, that you would use this time in your word this morning to make much of yourself in our lives and make much of Jesus so that we can be more like Christ. And so God, we ask your Holy Spirit to work in this time, that you would be blessed by it, that you would be praised by it, that you would be honored by it, but that we would be blessed, God. You'd encourage our hearts, that you'd bring about transformation and change wherever that's needed and necessary in our own lives, and it's, it is for all of us at some level. And so we submit this time to you, and we submit ourselves to the preaching of your word. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. You know, last Sunday uh, was an important Sunday for our church. We began a sermon series where we're spending five weeks talking about what it means to be a church that's a discipling church, where we're seeking to help one another be disciples who make disciples. And we looked at Jesus's commission and command in Matthew chapter 28. And, and in that text, Jesus calls us and he tells all of us, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, to be disciples who go make disciples. And we defined last week what we mean by disciples. Disciples are followers of Jesus. Now, to be a follower of Jesus isn't just about conforming to outward behaviors, like you're just trying to do more things in your own life. To, to be a follower of Jesus is to see your life in its entirety conformed more and more to the image of Christ, to be more and more like Jesus in your own life, in the totality of your life. There's a, a quote by Abraham Kuyper that says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. What that means then is our following of Jesus, our discipleship and seeking to be more like Christ is about your whole entire life. The way you think and the way you live, the way you do relationships, everything about it. Because Jesus is King and He is Lord over the entirety of your life. And we can think about our lives like a wheel, 
that our life is made up of a bunch of different spokes, and that could be your job or your relationships or your finances or where you live or what you do for free time and, and how you have fun, and all those things kind of spoke out to form this, this picture of your life. But what needs to be at the center of that is not you, but Jesus. That who Jesus is, is the King and the Lord of all things, affects and impacts every aspect of who you are as a person. But as we saw last week, Jesus doesn't just call us to be disciples whose lives are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. He calls us to make disciples. This is both your identity and your calling, and that includes seeing people who don't yet know Christ truly to pass from death to life and actually know him and the ongoing and reality of continuing to follow Jesus. That's what discipling is. It's helping others to follow Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then Jesus' command to you to make disciples is not optional. It's not conditional. If we're going to be faithful to that, that means we have to take ownership over our own discipleship, our own following of Jesus, and responsibility for those that we are in community with, the discipling of others. Now, sometimes circumstances are going to limit that in our lives. They're going to affect that in our lives. Or, or you have just personal limitations. Maybe you're dealing with suffering or sickness or there's things going on in your family right now. That affects what that looks like for you. And I get that. But that's never an excuse or permission for laziness in our life. It just gives perspective. Because I believe that even if you're going through difficulty, even if you have limitations in your life right now, that God still has provided a way for you to be about making disciples, to encourage others in following Jesus, to be a contributor and not a consumer. But that means we have to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, asking the Spirit to show us what this looks like in our own lives so we can help one another walk this narrow road that leads to life. So we fix our eyes together on our risen king. Now God has given us means of grace to help us in our discipleship and our following of Jesus. He's given us things that can help us to continue to move forward to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what we're going to be preaching on over these next few weeks. And we came up with a simple structure, a structure and really a lifestyle that Jesus models for us that we're going to throw back up on the screen here. And this, this picture here is just a display that we believe that if we live these things out in our life, that you are going to grow as a follower of Jesus. At the center of that is your own communion with God, your own relationship with Jesus, that you're pursuing him in relationship on your own. Outside of that, that next circle is being in relationship with one to three people who you know and love and who know and love you, that you're sharing life with and really diving into what it means to know Christ. Outside of that, the circle gets a little bit larger in our community groups, where you're hanging out with 10 to 15 men and women, opening God's word, fellowshipping with one another as you both and all seek to pursue Christ together. And then that last circle is the gathering of the church, what we're doing right now. And, and we see that that's coming together to hear God's word preached and sung and to be together to pursue Christ with one another. And those arrows point both to that it's a both and. It doesn't just start at the middle and move out. It doesn't just start on the outside and move in that we need to see those both affecting each other in both directions. So what we're going to talk about today is this last circle, this outer circle of gathering with the church. And we want to answer a question this morning. And here's our question. What is the role of the church gathered in our discipling? So what role does us being here this morning on a weekly basis, a regular basis, what does that have to do with our own discipling? I mean, do you ever stop and think about why you do some of the things you do in your life? 
Like, why is your morning routine what it is? Why is your evening routine what it is? Like, why do you brush your teeth before you wash your face? Or why do you not brush your teeth at all? You know, why do you do those things? Why do you have the routines you have in your own life? I mean, at some level, you believe that what it is you're doing on a routine basis is good for you and helpful for you. Well, that could be true of our gathering here on a Sunday morning. You could say, well, man, I I know this is good for me. At least I, I, I think that's true. But why do we do what we do when we're here? Why do we gather together as the church? Is it really that important for us? What we'll see as we open up God's word this morning, the 2 Timothy 4, is that the preaching of God's word is essential to discipling. The preaching of God's word is essential to discipling. And because that is true, it should affect how you look at and how you engage with regularly gathering together as the church. So, whether you've been around the church for a long time, or maybe this is the first time you've ever gathered with the church, or it's been a while for you. Maybe you've thought about this before, what what the purpose of being here is, or maybe it's never crossed your mind. No matter where you are, where you find yourself in this, my my hope is, is that God will use this time to encourage you, that he'll use this time to bring conviction where necessary, but for all of us, he will draw us together with a greater anticipation and expectation when we come together in this means of grace, when we show up here on Sunday mornings. So with that, let's dive into 2 Timothy chapter 4, and may God help us to be disciples who make disciples. Now, to give a little bit of context here of what's going on in the book of 2 Timothy is the author is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy is a young pastor in a church. And Paul has had a a significant influence on Timothy's life. He's really discipled Timothy, and he's helped him to understand what it means to know Christ and to follow Christ and now serve in Jesus' church. But this is the end of Paul's life. Paul knows that he's about to die, and he's about to die because he's been preaching Jesus, because he's been telling other people about Jesus. And so he's writing this letter of encouragement and challenge to young Timothy as he's pastoring in Jesus' church. And when we get to chapter 4, we see this kind of strong and solemn charge that he gives to Timothy, look at verses 1 and 2 again of chapter 4. Paul writes this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. He's telling Timothy here, he's laying out for all of us the priority of preaching. The priority of preaching. He's saying, Timothy, listen, I'm giving you a charge. I'm giving you marching orders. I'm giving you directions. If you want to be faithful to what God has called you to, if you want to hold your post and do and live this out in your own life, then you must do this in this way. But listen, it isn't just me giving you these directions, Timothy. I'm doing this in the presence of God and of Christ. I mean, do you see what a, what a big view of Jesus Paul has? Like, he doesn't just say God the Father and Jesus. He says, Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Like, he has this huge view of Jesus. The one who rules and reigns, who's been raised again from the grave, who has a kingdom that cannot be shaken, will never be put to shame. That Jesus, I'm charging you in the presence of the king of all kings to do this. What does he charge him to do? To preach the word. And it's exactly because of who Christ is that he calls him to this, to preach the word. Now, what does it mean to preach? And preaching isn't just someone getting up in front of a group of people and talking about something. It's not a TED Talk. It's not a, it's not a lecture. It's not a, 
uh, informational session. To preach is to declare, or to herald, or to announce, or to proclaim. It's like a town crier coming into the middle of the town and saying, Hear ye, hear ye, a word from the king. And this isn't any king. This is the risen king. This is the king of kings who this preacher is proclaiming. That means then for preaching to actually be preaching, it must be proclaiming something significant. And Paul tells us exactly what it is that must be preached. And it's the word. The word. This is absolutely essential for us to understand, both as a, as a community, as a church, and for our own discipling. And we're going to see this theme emerge over the next few weeks of the importance of God's Word. Paul here is charging Timothy, and by charging Timothy, he's charging every other pastor, preacher, every other church that will gather together from this point on to preach the Scriptures. Why? Because this is God's Word to us. God's speaking to us. Look Back at the end of chapter 3, in your Bibles, the end of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. When it says training in righteousness, he's saying to be more like Jesus, the only righteous one. God's word is useful for your discipling, useful and necessary for you to become more like Christ. We could go to places like Colossians 3.16. In Colossians 3.16, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says to them, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you richly. Like, let God's word take up residence within you. And the you there is not you as an individual, it's you, the collective gathering of the church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you you and be built up in you. And all of Scripture talks highly about Scripture. We, we could go to Psalm 119 and see that it's the longest psalm in the Psalms. And over and over again, David is talking about this reality of how necessary God's Word is in our own lives. That if we want to guard against sin, if we want to maintain purity in our life, if we want to deal with suffering, if we want to deal with persecution, if we want to deal with our upward and upside down moods that we have sometimes, it's God's Word that's going to guide us in the way we should go. So we must be a people of the Word. But do you know what the central message and the focus of the Bible actually is? It isn't you. The Bible is not about you. You are not the main character in the Bible. You're not the main focus in the Scriptures. The Bible isn't about you, but it is for you. And the main central message of the Bible is God and His plan of redemption that we see worked out and lived out in the person and work of Jesus. That because of our sin and because of our rebellion, we've turned away from God. We've sought to go our own way. We see that from the very beginning of the scriptures. And then everything beyond that, what we see God doing is pursuing a people to redeem and to restore and to save, ultimately culminating the fact that Christ comes and he lives a perfect life and goes to a cross, is crucified for you, the wrath of God poured out on him, raised again from the grave so that you can be with him forever and ever and ever. That's the message of the scriptures. So when Paul says, preach the word, he's saying to Timothy and to churches, preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. And what this also means then, is that if Christ is not explicitly preached in a sermon, then it's not a Christian sermon. And you may hear sermons preached at times, I hope, 
by God's grace, never in this church. But you may have heard or will hear sermons preached at some point in time that say things that are true, but if what a preacher is telling you to do in your own life can be done apart from Christ, at a minimum, it's moralism, which will crush you because you can't do it on your own, and at its worst, it's a path to hell because it's telling you you can be good enough on your own. You don't need Jesus. And we're going to come back to what Paul says here at the end of verse 2 in just a minute. But what I want us to see right now and what I want us to see throughout our lives is Jesus is exactly what and who we need to hear and have placed before us every single week. That we need Christ laid before us every single week, put on display every single week. Why? Well, Paul tells us in verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul's saying here is that people are naturally prone to wander away from truth. We are naturally move away from the truth. We all have wandering hearts and minds. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we are, we are tempted to wander away from truth. It's like driving in a car that's alignment is messed up. That man, if we're not staying focused on where we need to go, that we quickly turn off the side of the road. We have misguided affections and desires and misplaced desires. We're, we're easily drawn away from what is true. And, and that shouldn't be really surprising to us, even as followers of Jesus, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us that even as a follower of Christ, that there's a war that is raging within you between your flesh and your old life and the spirit and your new self, your new life in Christ. There's this battle that's going on where your old life and your old self and your flesh is seeking to assert itself once again over this new life you have in Christ. And if we're not staying in step with the spirit, if we're not listening to God through his word, then we are easily drawn off track drawn away from him. But you know, I think it's interesting is that Paul wrote these words to a young pastor in a church like 2,000 years ago. But man, this sounds a lot like our culture today. The people will wander away from truth. They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And that's both inside and outside of the church. And people we're going to wander away. That's what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, people are going to walk away. They're, they're going to reject truth. They're going to reject Jesus in his ways. They are going to find others to tell them what they want to hear. But Paul's telling Timothy and telling other pastors and preachers and telling churches, stay faithful. I think that's why he says what he does in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to have a good head on your shoulders. I want you to think. I want you to be sober-minded. You're going to endure suffering for preaching Jesus. People are going to come at you, and they're going to say things about you, and they're going to slander you, and they're going to tear you down. But stay faithful. Do the work of an evangelist. That word there, evangelist, what it means is do the work of a gospeler. Like, keep telling people about Jesus, both the believer and the non-believer. Keep doing that work, and in doing that, you will be faithful. You will fulfill your ministry. It's this kind of bookend to the charge that he gives Timothy. 
Culture goes this way, you stay faithful. Walk the narrow road. Keep following Jesus. Keep preaching Jesus. And here's why. Because it's in Jesus and through Jesus and Him alone that life is found, that freedom is found. No matter what the world around you is telling you. This is happening in our world today. We see it in our culture. There's a rejection of truth. There's a rejection of the ways of Christ. It's becoming less and less advantageous for you to think like Jesus and live like Jesus. And at the expense of things like political expediency and convenience and comfort, we kind of say, well, Jesus told me to live like this, but this seems better for me, so I'm drawn away from truth. I start following the ways of the world and what will be good for me. We see our brothers and sisters doing this around us right now. Some of you are tempted to do that right now. Man, this happens in the church as well. I mean, if we think about it, most of us, I would guess, are okay listening to sermons. We're okay hearing God's word preached to us. And, and we're even okay being challenged by God's word. That we want to see our lives, we would at least say, we want to become more like Jesus. But there are moments and times when God's word is preached in such a way that talks about a particular area of your life that you're like, ah, don't talk about that. I, I don't want to actually deal with that. Maybe it has to do with sexual morality in your life. Maybe it has to just do with relationships, how you interact with your roommates or your family or your coworkers or your friends. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's how you use the resources God has given to you and your money and your time. Maybe sermons like that we preached a few weeks ago on bitterness or shame. Well, I don't talk about that in my life. And when that starts to happen, we're holding so tightly onto those things, and really those things are holding tightly to us. That we hear that and say, oh, I don't want to listen to that. I need to find some preaching that, that builds me up and encourages me. And so we go looking for it in other places. Maybe you're in a period of suffering and difficulty and you just want somebody to tell you everything's going to be okay. That God just wants to hook you up and he's going to make you happy and healthy. So when someone brings a word of the Lord to you that throughout the pages of Scripture tell you that God is going to use your suffering to make you more like Jesus, that one of the most consistent things we see in the Scripture is waiting on the Lord. The world we live in now is not the way it's supposed to be or it's going to be, that we don't like to hear that because we want everything to be better right now. So we start looking for another church or another preacher, and maybe we find one who tells us what we want to hear, or even better, we find one who's not going to talk about any of those things in our life at all. Man, just keep it... Keep it at arm's length. Keep it at high level. Don't address anything going on in my own life. And this can come in a, vari a vari uh, variation of spectrum and, and wide range of different kinds of preaching. We can go all the way to just the health and wealth, false gospel that tells you that God wants to make you happy and healthy and hook you up. And if you have enough faith, then you'll be good to go. And if you aren't seeing those things happen in your life, then you must not believe be believing enough or giving enough to the other side of that is just the over-spiritualization of the gathering of the church where we don't have a lot of substance, but there's a whole lot of emotion. Or to the point of just we have to be relevant. So let's not talk about the Bible a whole lot because that's going to turn people away from knowing Christ. It could be any of those things. But see, what we have to realize, what I want all of us to realize for our own discipleship and the discipling of others is that when we do this, what we're doing is not just rejecting a preacher. We're not rejecting a particular church. We're rejecting God's word. We're rejecting truth. We're rejecting Jesus. 
when we seek to find teachers who will tell us what we want to hear. Listen, you can be a fantastic, phenomenal communicator and a terrible preacher. Because for preaching to be biblical preaching, it necessitates preaching the Bible. And preaching the Bible means we preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel means we preach Jesus. And we call you to follow him and become more and more like him, to repent and to believe, to die to yourself and take up the cross. Follow Christ. And have you actually done that in your life? Are you actually seeking to follow Jesus now? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Do you actually know Jesus? Some churches die because the gospel isn't preached, and some churches explode because the gospel isn't preached. But faithful churches faithfully preach the gospel, they preach Jesus, and they entrust God with the results. And so that means then that we must submit ourselves to God's word and God's word alone, even when the truth about God or ourselves is hard to take in and hard to digest and difficult to understand. That's why Paul says what he does in verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. When Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, he's saying, Timothy, you got to be ready. you got to be at hand. you gotta be, you got to be ready to preach Jesus, whether preaching Jesus is popular or not. Whether preaching Jesus is liked or loathed. There's a, a, a well-known preacher from a long, long time ago named Charles Simeon. And Charles Simeon was placed in this church, in a church, in a group of people who did not want to hear the gospel preached. They wanted to hear other things that made them feel good about themselves, but Simeon was committed to the scriptures, committed to preaching God's word, and so he came in to this church as a young preacher in his 20s, and he got up to preach God's word, and nobody was there. This is back in the day when there were pews that actually had doors on them, and so these people would come and lock the doors to their pews and then not show up. So the other people that wanted to hear preaching would have to sit in the aisles because there was nowhere else for them to go. Temptation for Simeon, do I keep preaching Jesus even though no one's here, or do I tweak this a little bit to draw them back in and be relevant so that they'll show up? Simeon kept preaching Jesus, kept preaching the word, and over time, God used his faithfulness to radically transform people's lives. Soon, those people who weren't showing up started showing up again and were convicted of their sin and saved and redeemed, and Simeon stayed in that church for over 50 years preaching the gospel. And that's the kind of church we want to be. And that brings up a good question for us, though. I mean, why do we have to keep preaching Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, well, I I already know about Christ. Like, I already know the gospel. So why do we have to keep talking about Jesus if we already know that? And that's what the church is. It's the gathering of God's people. Why do we have to keep talking about Christ? Why do we have to keep talking about the gospel? Well, here's why. Because the gospel is not only the means of your salvation, but also your transformation. That because we're so easily drawn away from Christ, we need Christ placed in front of us again, who calls you to follow him, that we need to be reminded that you aren't good on your own, that you can't figure it out on your own, that left to yourself, you are walking the wide way that leads to destruction. But when you know Christ and follow him, he's transforming your life from one degree of glory to another. I need to be reminded that it's in grace and by grace alone that Jesus is working in me and through me. What that means then is that the gathering of the church, the preaching of the word, is critical for discipling, which is what Paul is talking about in verse 2 of reproving and rebuking and exhorting with complete patience. It's done with patience. It's done with teaching. It's done with instruction because it's essential for our lives. 
We want you to know Christ and we want your life conformed more and more to Him. That means the goal of preaching is not to beat you up, to make you feel bad. No, the goal of preaching is to be honest about the reality of your own life and to then place Jesus in front of you. Say, look to our Savior. Look to the King who rules and reigns. And then as you look to Him, as you see Him, you'll be made more like Him. See, when the Word of God is preached, Jesus is King. Which means, when the Word of God is preached, sometimes it reproves you. And sometimes it rebukes you. And sometimes it exhorts you or encourages you. It reminds you that Jesus is better and that His ways are best. It seeks to correct the ways that you're wandering away from Him. Jesus is lifted up in the preaching of the Word. He's exalted. He's made much of. He's shown for the richness of who He is. When the Word of God is preached, Jesus is King, which means that it trains you to follow your King. It lays out His ways before you so that you might walk in Him, to be like Him in your thoughts and your words and your actions. When the Word of God is preached, Jesus is King, which means it's God's means to bring about the good work that He's begun in you, to make you more and more like Christ so that He can do a good work through you. When the Word of God is preached, Jesus is King, which means that the Word is authoritative for your life. This is God's Word to us. It's not a book of suggestions about how to live. It is His call and command of conforming your life to Christ. It's a declaration of the way of the King and His kingdom and is for your good and His glory. So then, if all that is true, then we as God's people must gather together regularly. We must gather together regularly to receive the preaching of God's word because it's in the context of the gathering of the local church that this kind of preaching happens. Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to neglect gathering together. That's not just about the gathering of the church on a Sunday morning, but it certainly includes that. And we have to know that God's church, God's people are a gathered people. And God's been doing that since the beginning, gathering a people for himself We see that all throughout the pages of Scripture, culminating in the formation of the local church. So Paul calls Timothy, he calls every pastor after him, every local church to preach the word to his people. Because it's your pastors and preachers that know you and love you and are preaching God's word over you and to you. And they do that, Paul calls Timothy to that, he calls every other pastor to do that. Because as we preach the word to you and over you, it's because also the culture is preaching to you. That as you walk out of here throughout the week, the world around you is preaching a message to you. They're proclaiming something. You can find your hope in these other things. You can find joy in these other things. You can find freedom in these other things apart from Christ. But when we gather together as the church on a weekly basis, we drive a stake in the ground. And we tether ourselves to truth. And we're reminded of who we are in Christ. And we're reminded that Jesus is good and his way is better than anything this world is offering to us. And then we go out into the week. Man, we really should see Sunday as not the end of our week, but the beginning of our week. That we come here on Sunday morning getting amped up and ready to go, fired up to walk out these doors, grounded in the joy we have in Christ so that we might confront what the world's going to throw at us. We tether ourselves to truth together. Now listen, you can listen to a sermon on, uh, on your car ride to work. You can listen to a sermon at home. 
That can be good for the discipling of your soul. But what we're talking about here is gathering together with your local church to hear the preaching of your word alongside of your community, people who know you, overseen by pastor elders who have providentially been placed in your life. That every brother who serves as a pastor in this church wants to know you and wants to serve you and wants to point you more and more to Jesus. We are responsible for you, not anybody that listens to a sermon on a podcast. And guess what? Matt Chandler isn't responsible for you. Francis Chan isn't responsible for you. John Piper isn't responsible for you. They will not give an account before God for you, but I do, and I will. And I love you, and I care about you, and I want you to know Christ. I want want to see your life conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. I want you to have a big view of God so that everything in your life will be put into perspective for who our God is, and that's going to happen when we come prepared and prayed up to preach God's word every week. Gathering together to receive and respond to God's word preached is not to check a box off in your life. It's a gift of grace to you. It's a means of grace for discipling you. Did you know that some 500 years ago, people like you and me didn't have a copy of God's word in their hands? It wasn't in the common language. In order to hear God's word, they had to gather with the church to hear it preached. Sometimes I think we take that for granted now because we can access a bajillion versions of the Bible on our phones. And so because we have that, and that's a glorious thing, we can give thanks to God because of that. But let that not replace the fact that there is something powerful that happens as God's people to gather together for the preaching of God's word. Mark Dever in the book Discipling that we're reading together as a church says this, the church's discipling work begins quite simply by gathering together. And that's what we aim to do here at Sojourn. All parts of our Sunday, Sunday gathering are important. All parts of our service are intentional. All parts encourage you in truth. But the sermon, the preaching of the word of God is the epicenter of the gathering of the church. Not because of who's up here preaching. It's the epicenter of the service because the epicenter of the sermon is Jesus. That we have time to focus on the word of Christ who he is, the good news of the gospel. So then, this is what this means as we think about the gathering of our service. We come, we show up, and the beginning of our service is preparing us for the receiving of God's word preached. We sing songs, we walk through a time of confession, we have God's word read and prayed over us, preparing us to receive God's word preached. And then we respond to the preaching of the word through communion and through singing and through prayer. God's word ever at the center, Jesus and the gospel on display. See, the purpose of preaching is not just to transfer information from my head to yours. It's for the transformation of your life that would actually take place. Because when the word of God is preached, we place ourselves under God's word. Like you could just walk in. We should just all walk in with Bibles in our head. Maybe that'd help us. Like we're under God's word. It's interpreting our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 say this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is speaking into your life. It's interpreting your life, not the other way around. And so when we hear the preaching of the word, we believe that when God's word is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a supernatural work of God that's going on. 
that as God's word is expounded and explained, as Christ is exalted through the preaching of his word, as it's applied to your life in a unique way, that God is doing a work apart from other ministries of the word. I mean, have you ever sat in a sermon and all of a sudden it seems like there's a vacuum and you're like the only person sitting there and whoever's preaching is talking to you? I'm not checking your text messages. I don't stalk you on Facebook to try and figure out what's going on in your life. I hope I know what's going on in your life. But that's the Holy Spirit working in you through the preaching of the Word. He's applying God's Word in a surgical way to your life. Because there's something supernatural that happens when that takes place. God is at work when you sit under the preaching of the Word. And that's true for all of us, no matter what your relationship with Jesus is. If you don't yet know Christ, I'm glad that you're here this morning. But every time we gather together, we're going to talk about Christ as we've talked about him today, that he is the only way for you to be reconciled to God. And so if you don't yet know Christ, as you hear the preaching of the word of God, you see him and you're given a chance to respond to who he is and what he's done. And if you already do know Christ, the same thing's true. Christ is exalted. His word is expounded and shared with you. And you're given an opportunity to look to Christ once again and respond to who he is and what he's done. Preaching is then for our edification, our building up, and for evangelism. Preaching the word is for discipling. Now, I don't think, or I'm not under the, the, the idea or thought that you remember every sermon I've ever, pre- ever preached. Like, I don't remember every sermon I've preached. So our goal is that you be impressed with our preaching. Because my guess is, for most of you, you don't remember every meal you've eaten either. But if you've eaten healthy... You have a healthy body. You're feeling healthy because you know that your diet is aiding you in that. Preaching is the same way. We're going to give you a healthy diet of preaching. I don't care if you remember a sermon, but what I hope happens in your life as you sit under the preaching of the words that you can look over a period of time and see that God has grown you. That he's given you a greater understanding of who Christ is. That he's elevated your view of God as you've heard God's word preached week in and week out by brothers who know and care for you. What this means is, on the negative side, is that you will not grow as a disciple of Jesus if you do not regularly gather with the church. Now, I know there are exceptions to that because of circumstances and sicknesses, but that is actually most of the time for most of us the exception, not the norm. Thomas Watson, a pastor from a long time ago, said this, it was by the ear by our first parents listening to the serpent that we lost paradise. And it is by the ear, by hearing of the word, that we get to heaven. See, there's not only a priority to preaching, there's a priority to listening. Listening. You are not passive in the process of preaching. You're not just a bystander. It's not something done to you. It's something you interact with. It's something you participate in as well. So to wrap up our time today, as we're thinking about what it means to be disciples who make disciples, I just want to give you some practical application as it comes to this charge that Paul gives Timothy and every other pastor and preacher and every other church to preach the word because people are going to be prone to wander away from it. Just some practical application so that you can see and receive gathering together as a means of grace for your own discipleship. So here's the first thing. You can write this down because I want you to think about this. The first thing is to prioritize prioritize, that you'd actually think of Sunday as the beginning of your week, 
And that by so doing, you would actually orient your schedule around that. Like you look to this saying, I have to be here. I must be here. I need this for my own soul and my own life. And my brothers and sisters need me to be here too. So you'd prioritize gathering together with the church regularly. Now, regularly is very subjective, isn't it? You could say like, well, I regularly go to the gym and you go like once a month. Well, that's more regular than it used to be. When I say regularly, let's just think about this. There are four Sundays generally in a month. Regularly would be that you're there three out of four times. And a lot of times, probably four out of four times, that you're seeking to be together with God's people. You're prioritizing it, so you're leaning in. You're eager to gather together with God's people. And you strive as best you can to show up on time. Because everything we do is preparing you for the preaching of God's Word. So prioritize that in your schedule. Make it the thing that you look forward to in your week. The second thing is prepare. Prepare to receive the preaching of God's Word. Do that during the week. Every Tuesday or Wednesday, I send out an email to our members and we post this on the blog, the text that's going to be preached on Sunday and a few questions for you to think about before you come on Sunday. Take time to read God's Word before you show up. That this isn't just totally out of the blue for you, that you've spent time already thinking about what God's Word says about God and about you. You'd prepare during the week in that way that on Saturday night, you don't stay up till whatever's late for you. For some people, late is like 9.30. For others of you, it's 2 in the morning. Whatever that happens to be for you, don't stay up late on a Saturday night because two things are going to happen. You're not going to be attentive on Sunday morning or you may just not show up. So prepare on Saturday night. We spend time with our kids praying on Saturday night, praying as a family. God, would you bless our time as we gather with the church tomorrow morning? Would you prepare our hearts? Would you protect us spiritually? Would you give us good rest tonight so that we can be ready to receive your word? And then on Sunday morning, get up and get going. We don't gather until 10.30. A lot of you have to be at work at 8 or 9 in the morning. That's a lot of time between then and then. Get up on the, in Sunday mornings and be prepared to come so you're not flying in here with your hair on fire. But you're ready to show up and you're like, man, God, I'm eager. I want to open up your word even this morning. I want to pray even this morning before I show up on a Sunday morning. And then I also just encourage you as you think about preparing that you would pray for whoever's preaching. Whether that's me or somebody else, that you would pray for your preachers. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher from a long time ago in the 1800s, his church in England started to grow significantly, seeing lots of people come to know Christ, people growing in their discipleship of Jesus. And someone asked Spurgeon, how, what did you do? Like, how did your church grow? And you know what his response was? He says, it started when my people started praying for me. When, when my people started praying for the preaching of God's word, that's when this stuff started to happen. Man, would you pray would you pray for yourself? Would you pray for the preacher that God would help us to stay focused on what he has for us, that the enemy would not distract us, that our own flesh would not lead us astray, but would be faithful to bring God's word to you? So prioritize, prepare. Third thing, participate. When you show up on a Sunday morning, bring your scriptures with you. If you don't have one, we've got Bibles in the back. You can take those home. All of you, I would guess, have a phone that you can access God's word on. Come, look at it, keep it in front of you so that you can read it, and then also take notes Write down things that God's speaking to you, that he's saying to you, so that you can go back and you can think on those things later. Participate, like lean in on a Sunday morning. If your phone's distracting for you, leave it in your car. Put it on airplane mode. Whatever you need to do to lean in and participate in the preaching of God's word, do that. And then fourth and finally is just process. 
Then take God's word preached. Don't keep it to yourself. Talk about it in community. When you go out to lunch after service, talk with those that have gathered together with you to, to process through God's word. Go to community group, ready to talk about it with one another. Okay, process through that. And in that, if you've got questions, email us. Reach out to us. Hold us accountable. If we say something that you don't think is true to scripture, let us know. We're not going to get it right all the time. So process through God's word. Prioritize, prepare, participate, and process. And why do we gather regularly as a church centered around the preaching of the word? Because we are a word-centered people. Because we need Jesus set before us every week. And because we believe that if we truly do this, if we do this along with the other means of grace that God has given to us that we're going to preach on these next few weeks, if we take serious the priority of preaching and the priority of listening, we believe that you will grow as a disciple of Jesus. You will grow as a disciple. Not because I or anyone else who stands up here is a great preacher, but because King Jesus and his good ways are being set before you. And they're calling you back to repentance and faith. So praise God that he's not left us to ourselves to figure out what it looks like to follow Christ. Praise God that he's given us his living and active word. Praise God that his living and active word is given to us preached over us. And that God works in that time. May it help us to walk the narrow road that leads to life. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, a response to God's word preached is to come and take communion together. Because as we come and take communion together, there's another little mini sermon that's going on here in this bread and cup. That as you eat this bread and cup, it reminds you of your need for a savior. It reminds you that Jesus had to come and his body had to be broken and his blood shed for you to be reconciled to God. And so as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, you preach the gospel once again to yourself and you preach it to those around you. To be reminded that you're not in this alone, but you're in this together, seeking to be faithful disciples following Jesus the one who was nailed to a cross to bear the weight of your sin. So as you come forward this morning, having been reminded of who Christ is and what he's done for you, come and eat and drink, knowing that it is finished in Jesus. Let's be encouraged today as we do that. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we just ask you not to come forward to take communion, but you'd watch other brothers and sisters that are coming up and taking it and think about, do you know Christ? And if you haven't placed your faith in him, why not? Now is the time. Turn to him today. Repent and believe that you might have a relationship with Christ. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables of the front or the tables of the back. What Christ, our Redeemer, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gathering of the church, that you saw fit to see the church be a gathered people, that we need each other, and not just in community and life. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, but we need to sit under the preaching of your word. God, we thank you that there's a supernatural work that takes place as your word is preached, as your spirit applies it to our lives. And so, God, I pray that that would happen right now for us and every day after. Help us to be a faithful church that faithfully preaches Jesus and Jesus alone. And God, I pray that you use this in our own discipling, that you would grow us in our following of Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help us now to look at Sundays a little bit differently, that we'd come expectantly and eagerly that we'd make a priority in our life and come to show up ready to hear from you. God, would you do a radical work in our church for your glory and our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. <laughs>